Gracious God, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would challenge us and encourage us, that you would be with us, that you would help us to be your people better. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Author uh, Andy Crouch writes, the defining condition of our time is a sense of loneliness and alienation. The defining condition of our time is a sense of loneliness and alienation. He goes on, for if human flourishing requires us to love with all of our hearts and souls and minds and strength, what happens when nothing in our lives develop those capacities? What happens when there's nothing in our lives that help us to love with all of our hearts and all of our souls and all of our minds and all of our strength? Is that part of what causes this loneliness and alienation? In other words, we were made to love with all that we are, and yet so much of how we live and how our lives are shaped are done in ways that make it difficult, if not impossible, to love like that. And so instead of flourishing, we feel alone. We feel divided. We feel separated. And it seems, to me at least, like this is becoming worse. Or at least it's more recognizable these days. In 2018, Britain appointed the first ever cabinet uh, appointment uh, Minister of Loneliness. Uh, And it was due to a research report that said about 9 million people in Britain feel lonely. About 200,000 older Britons hadn't had a conversation with a friend or relative in more than a month. Unsurprisingly, the story is much the same here. In the 2018 study, 46% of Americans always or sometimes feel alone. 47% feel left out. What's more, I've read that a fifth of Americans volunteer that loneliness is a major source of unhappiness. A full third of those over the age of 45 confess that chronic loneliness is a fundamental challenge that they are struggling with. Think about those numbers for a while. A third of those over the age of 45, 46%, of, of all of us, it's almost half the room. That's a lot of people. I'll add that most of those studies took place before the year 2000 and all of the turmoil that happened with the onset of COVID. And so, if anything, those numbers are significantly worse now. People feel lonely. People feel alienated. People feel divided and distant and disconnected. And remember, this has less to do with the number of people that we are around or a part of and more to do with how we feel. Because, of course, you can feel lonely even in a crowded room. And you can feel content when you're all by yourself. But the reality is that there are a lot of people who struggle with the feeling of loneliness and disconnection. And it may even be something that some of us are struggling with even today. 
So what do we do? What do we do in our own lives? And, and how do we help the, the too many who feel like that, who feel like they don't have any connection to anyone? Can the feeling of loneliness be undone? How do we change our own feelings of, of separation and isolation? And what do we do with all the lonely people, to borrow words from the Beatles? While we think about that, let me tell you where we're going. Because today we're making a new turn in our kind of overarching fall series as we zoom out a little bit and apply all of this talk about strangers a little bit more broadly to us as Christians and us as a church. Because it's, it's one thing to be kind to and welcoming of the stranger, but all of this takes on a new and higher meaning as we connect this to what God is trying to do in us and in our world through us. Because, of course, God may be doing something bigger than we expect when He calls us to love even the stranger. And so in this new series, let's look to see if we can't figure out what God is trying to work in us as He builds a different kind of household, a different kind of country, a different kind of kingdom. And to set us on that right path, I want us to read a, a theme verse for these next three weeks. The theme verse isn't on the screens, but it's Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. And it says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by, do, by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Read verse 2 one more time. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Now, what's particularly fun about this passage in light of this whole series, if you remember where we were when we started, we were talking about Abraham and his nephew Lot, and they did welcome in a couple of strangers, and they did actually end up turning out to be angels. More to the point, I wonder how that change of perspective would change our view of and treatment of the stranger. What if we first saw strangers as potential angels instead of first potential problems? What if we first could extend hospitality instead of worrying first about potential issues and threats? What if first we could choose love instead of assuming that they can just take care of themselves? In other, in other words, what would, what would happen if we became a people of hospitality? And by hospitality, we're talking about something more than just inviting someone over for dinner or greeting someone in our church. We're talking about opening up our lives in a different kind of way. I like what John Tyson writes. He says, the Greek word for hospitality is, is beautiful, philozenia. It's a compound combining, that's redundant, but it's a compound combining of philios, friend, love, brotherly love, sisterly love, and xenos, which is the word for foreigner or stranger. 
rather than fear of the other, hospitality is love for the other. The reason God calls us to this kind of love is that this is the way He has loved us. And so as we look at our natural worldly state of loneliness and separation, and then as we combine that with God's gracious hospitality, love of the stranger, let's then turn in our Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. While you're turning there, I will simply let you know that at this point, Paul has told the church in Ephesus that they have been saved by grace through faith. And so the context of our passage is the radical gift that God has given us, undeserved, unearned, and yet freely given. And as we come to our passage today, we see this grace continuing to work its change in us and through us. And so let's read. Ephesians chapter 2. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done by the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in His flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in Himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace." And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. 
His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Amen. A whole bunch in there. Uh, this is just a little bit more of what Jesus has done for us. Our status has been changed. Our identity has been changed. You used to be foreigners and strangers and outsiders, but then we were brought near, brought in, transformed. And before we go on, it's of vital importance that we get this story right. Because too often, I think we, we kind of leave out this, this first part, that you didn't belong, you aren't worthy, you weren't an insider, which is why Jesus didn't come to just confirm that you already are awesome. No, He came to change us. We were foreigners and strangers, and He brought us in completely changing us through the cross. And it's so easy for us to forget this. We are told so often that we already, what we already want to hear, you, you are enough, you are good, you do belong. And yet that's not the story. We forget that we, we weren't and we didn't and, and we don't until Jesus changed us. It's not our effort. It's not our worthiness that makes us okay. It's Jesus transforming us, which is what this passage is telling us. But I want us to dig in a little bit deeper here. And as we do, I want us to look at how God extends His hospitality to us. And then I want us to look at how God might extend hospitality to others through us. One of the most powerful things that we see in our passage is this before and after picture that Paul is painting. God fundamentally changes our status and our identity. Before Jesus, you were an outsider. You were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship. You were foreigners of the covenant. You were without hope, without God, and far away not to mention all the enmity between us and others. And if you think about it, all of that should strike at something deep inside of us because we don't like to feel like outsiders. We don't want to feel like a stranger. We don't want to be alone, which is why normally we will do almost anything to avoid situations where we may feel any one of those things. Part of the reason why we go along with the crowd. It's part of the reason why we avoid new situations and new people. It's why we try extra hard sometimes to follow all the rules or look the part because we don't want to feel like we don't belong. Alas, all the while, we still don't feel like we always belong. Because, of course, belonging isn't something that we can do from within ourselves. It's something that's conferred upon us. It's something that someone does to us. It's a change that is wrought within us. 
which is why our passage goes on to tell us that this has all been done through Jesus. Through Christ, we have been brought near, brought in. We have been reconciled. We have been given access. We have been made into heirs and members and sharers of the promise. And all of this was done to us because Jesus extended His hospitality to us, bringing us in. in interestingly, and more to our point in this series, the passage reminds us, you used to be foreigners and strangers, but God has made you into citizens and people of God's own household. I like that word household because I think it extends in and around and even past our word for family. A household is, in some senses, more inclusive and yet also more broad, but definitely more intentional. Because these are the people who share with us our day-to-day -day lives, our week-to-week -week lives. Andy Crouch writes it this way. It's a, it's a long Thing, but it gets a better sense of, of household. He writes, how do you know if you're part of a household? You are part of a household if there is someone who knows where you are today and who has at least some sense of how it feels to be where you are. You are a part of a household if there is someone who moves more quietly when they know you are asleep. I would argue you're also part of a household if you are a place where they make more noise when they know you're asleep as well, but that's not what he was saying. Uh, you are part of a household if someone would check on you if you didn't awaken. You are part of a household if people know things about you that you do not know about yourself, including things that if you did know, you would seek to hide. You are part of a household if others are close enough to see you and know you as well as or better than you know yourself. You are part of a household if you experience the conflict that is the inevitable companion of closeness. If someone else makes such demands on you that you sometimes fantasize about driving them out of your life. You're part of a household if you sometimes dream of running away, perhaps to a far country, so that you will not be so terribly well known. You're part of a household if you return from a long journey prompts a spontaneous celebration. You're part of a household if when you avoid a party because of your anger, pride, guilt, or shame, someone notices and comes outside to plead with you to come back in. There's something about being a part of something like that that we long for. I mean, it's, it's a little bit scary to be known like that, and yet there's something in us also that craves that. And in our passage, God tells us that He hasn't just made us citizens, but He's also made us members of His household. He has chosen you. He has included you. He has brought you in. And this is what Jesus has done and what Jesus continues to do. Jesus extends His hospitality even to us and makes us into something new, bringing us, binding us together, building us into something better. And again, notice, it's not something we do on our own. 
It's something that someone else does for us, in this case, Jesus. Because we were outsiders, we were the others. And God brought us in. He changed us. It's good news. But what if it's also not only about us? Because remember where we started. We aren't the only ones who sometimes feel alone or excluded or, or disconnected. Because, of course, there are a lot of other people who also even always feel that way. And as we just talked about, even on a, a simple level, that's not normally something you can solve on your own. Because you have to be invited in, shown, included. But therefore, I have to believe that God wants us to be the kind of people that show radical hospitality to others, to be a people who bring others in. But how do we do that? Especially as we consider how full our world is of people who feel lonely and excluded and far away and distant all the time. How do you even make a dent in that? Where do you start? And yet maybe we start in the same place God does. By making more and more people a part of our household. By helping people know that God brings them in as well. Because of course the problem is that people who aren't connected can't just include themselves. You can't take the first step because you don't know how, and if you do, you, you kind of just feel like you're pretending, like you don't belong, which is the problem. This is one of those problems that doesn't solve itself. The only thing that helps is if those people are then brought in. And, and we all know this. You're in a large group of people. They're, they're a little different from you. You, you, don't, you don't feel very comfortable in this group of people. You feel alone but you want to be included. You don't want to be the person who's just kind of standing there awkwardly, as all introverts know. But you know that you can, you can try to just awkwardly insert yourself in, but it's far better to be invited in. It's far better to be included in. It's far better if someone else comes to you and brings you in. That's fundamentally different than, than you just trying to in, in, insert yourself. If anything, trying to insert yourself just makes you feel more like you don't belong. But this means that if there's to be any hope, we need to find ways where we can reach out and bring others in, which is hard. Because it means that we have to be the ones to take the initiative. It means that we have to be the ones who go out and then bring in. It means that we need to be the ones who take the risk. Because here's the thing, in putting yourself out there like that, you can be rejected. And that feeling of rejection is a lot of like that feeling of being on the outside, like you don't belong. Plus, we don't necessarily know these people all that well. I mean, let's be honest, they're probably strangers, which is why they're feeling what they're feeling in the first place. Because if they weren't, they'd already be included. They'd already be a part of the community. 
And yet, we know that Jesus has brought us in. And so there's really nothing for us to fear. Which is why then Jesus calls us to be the ones who go out and bring others in. Maybe this is why Jesus was so intent on changing our identity so that we would know that we are the sent ones, so that we would know that there are times that we are to feel like strangers as we go out so that we might be ones who bring others back, so that we would know that even, though those, even in those moments when we feel like strangers, we do belong because Jesus has brought us in. I think that's the only way we can do this. If we recognize, if we remember that we were brought in by Jesus, it's what allows us to take the risk and bring others in as well. But there's one more secret here that may help. Because maybe we would be able to do all of this better if we could change how we see them, those people. What if we could see them more like God sees them? It's funny, at the beginning of our passage, we hear, you are God's workmanship. There are other passages that say, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are made in the image of God. But here's the twist. What if we turned this around and took ourselves out of those verses a little bit? And instead, what if we could see them as God's workmanship? Them as fearfully and wonderfully made. Them as being made in the image of God. You see, maybe it's hard for us to extend hospitality because at the end of the day, I see them as only strangers. Therefore, they're outsiders. Therefore, they don't belong. Therefore, they are less than. Therefore, they are strange. And therefore, I don't feel much urgency or import to try and help and bring them in. But notice how things change when I start seeing strangers as children of God, made by God, made in the very image of God. At that point, it's not quite so difficult to extend a little bit of hospitality. Even more so when I remember that this might be how God is trying to continue to do His work in me. Maybe God is, is still trying to work on something in me as we invite others in. As we show hospitality to others. Because He wants us to understand what He has done for us. What if we could be the people who create a different kind of household? What if we could be the people who invite others in and include? What if we could be the kind of people who extend hospitality even to and especially toward the stranger? 
And again, this isn't just about hosting people over for dinner, inviting people and welcoming them into our church. This is including people in our lives, inviting people into our, our hopes and our fears and our pains and our dreams. It's about being with people and letting them be with us. I wonder if we could learn to extend hospitality like that. I wonder if that's what Jesus is calling us to even today. And I wonder who's coming to mind. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have made us into your people. That while we were foreigners, while we were strangers, while we were outsiders, you brought us in and changed us. Lord, help us to be the kind of people who do that to others. And Lord, we confess right now that, that that's somewhat terrifying, that, that strangers fill us with fear sometimes. That, that, that's not what we're no used to. That's not normal. And yet we thank you that you brought us in, even though that wasn't the natural thing to do. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us learn how to show your hospitality better as we build and rebuild our households so that we might show you off better. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, and we pray all these things in Jesus' strong name. Amen.